Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. We are all in this together. You remember how comforting that sounded during, say, March and April 2020? I can remember here in New York City, every night at 7 o'clock, we would bang our pots and pans in support of healthcare workers who now, in retrospect, were uh, put into some pretty compromising positions and were making some pretty sketchy decisions, too. And But we were supporting them and we were supporting the quote unquote essential workers. And what about all those truck drivers that we that we loved and cheered because despite this this crisis, they were getting our supplies to us. But now all of them and so many others are hated in one way or another. Right. The healthcare workers that we once cheered when they had the audacity to use their healthcare knowledge to turn down an experimental, untested genetic therapy, we wanted them to be fired. The essential workers in our supermarkets and so on, yeah, we cheered them, but now they better put that mask on and get that jab or they're out the door. And then truck drivers, truck drivers, they went from being heroes to Nazi fascists virtually overnight. But so so it's be easy to mock, and I've done it myself, mock this we are all in this together mantra. But breaking news, we are all in this together, just not in this contrived corporate created way that we're supposed to believe. I mean just think for a second. Why do you cry or get choked up when you see a stranger or an animal suffering, not even in person. It could be someone could send you a YouTube video and you would, you can get emotional watching it. Why do you feel joy when someone you don't even know experiences a triumph? You might be watching the Winter Olympics and a complete stranger wins ice skating or something like that and you're reduced to tears. That's because we are all connected, just not in that superficial corporate capitalist kind of way. It's what you're experiencing when you cry or you cheer for another being who is going through something is what could be called um, sympathetic joy or any of the other of the four immeasurables that Buddhism teaches. There's something called metta, which is loving kindness, karuna, which is compassion, upekka, which is equanimity, which means to kind of to witness with patience, and mudita, which is the aforementioned sympathetic joy. So let me let me um, further explain equanimity. I've pulled out a quote from a Buddhist scholar who said, "We accept the world as it is, but connect anyway." And a mind filled with equanimity accepts the fact of pain in the world. It understands suffering and cruelty as part of this world that is dominated by ignorance, but it engages and responds anyway. But now what about sympathetic joy? It's been called the opposite of jealousy and an antidote to boredom. 
but mudita goes even further. It means a sympathetic or unselfish, unselfish joy, a joy in the good fortunes of others. In developing mudita, we come to appreciate other people as complete and complex beings, not as characters in our personal play. So you might even say these four immeasurables are reminders that we are indeed all in this together. If you prefer a more material reminder, here goes. The powers that shouldn't be want you to think you're alone. They thrive when you feel powerless. Their media outlets downplay movements and victories. If you're out there asking questions and being skeptical, you are not alone, not even close. So stay strong, stay committed, stay connected, and keep your guard up. I'll be right back with a little more from Janet Fraser from the interview I did with her last week, right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here with a few messages before we get back to the show. I'm asking you to become a paid subscriber to Post Woke. To do so, it's very simple. Just go to mickeyz.substack.com. The link is in the show notes. And there, for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day, you can support what I'm doing and get a steady flow of podcasts, articles, and other content, including perks that are available only to paid subscribers. So I thank you in advance for making that commitment. It really makes a difference. In addition, if you'll scroll through, scroll through the show notes, you'll see that I have a link in there for the project I do to help homeless women in New York City. Your support is most welcome. There's a link in there for a very cool post-woke podcast t-shirt to let people know what your favorite podcast is. And there's also a link in there for my NFT digital art photography. If you're interested in non-fungible tokens as a collectible, please click that link, check it out, and maybe maybe buy yourself a collectible work of art. So on that note, thank you again. And most importantly, please consider becoming a subscriber at mickeyz.substack.com. And now let's get back to the show. As mentioned earlier, what I'm going to do now is play for you the section of my interview with Janet Fraser that related to life in Australia during the pandemic, the lockdowns, etc. Sure. I think it helps if listeners understand that, uh, like in the US, Australia is um, a bunch of states with a federal government. So we have those two layers of government, just like you do. In fact, our system is known as the Washminster system because it took elements of your constitution and elements of the British constitution and put them together. So while oh. some aspects of Australia have been federally governed through this, um, mostly the aspects which affect people are in state control. And each state and territory has had different restrictions, both on people coming and going and within the state in terms of lockdown and layers of lockdown and levels of lockdown. Um, so we've had a very different experience in that there is only 27 million or something of us. Um, and uh, in 2020, for instance, um, COVID was the 38th 
leading cause of death um, for Australians. So there were 37 other things that were killing us much more than COVID. So very different experience. Our health system is very different. I think that while we also, as a neoliberal Western state, have a great divide between rich and poor, I think um, from what I understand of the US as an outsider, I think that that is exaggerated in the US, partly because you don't have free health care, and we do. So we don't have to worry about, will my insurance cover me going to this hospital? We just go to hospital. Because if you're an Australian citizen and you go to a public hospital in Australia, it's free. Okay. <laughs> so our healthcare parameters, I know it's crazy socialism, isn't it? <laughs> our healthcare parameters are kind of different. So that has been different. We're also an island in a way that you're not quite. So that means restricting entry is different. So COVID, particularly in places like Western Australia and Queensland and Tasmania, has not, well, Northern Territory until now, has not been a massive, huge deal in lots of ways. We have not had anything like the death rates of other countries. Um, I looked at Spain and Italy, for instance, way back in February, March 2020, and I thought, is that what's coming? And I locked my family down before the government announced that we were all to go into lockdown because I don't take health advice from governments. Um, and I had no idea what was coming. And it is clear that it has been a very different experience here. However, we have also had significant hardship um, as a result of the lockdowns. And of course, it's all very well to go work from home, but if you're a cashier or a cleaner, uh, you can't work from home, right? So yeah. this is working class people, particularly women whose workplaces are the most casualized of all. And we are the last in and first out when any jobs are being lost. Um, so rates of domestic violence have gone up significantly. Um, we like it is very hard to know what happens around mental health. I don't trust the mental health statistics that we are given, um, partly because they are driven by such intense pathologizing of the normal. Um, so a lot of the time, I think people's uh, depression, for instance, is a normal trauma response. It's pretty fucking traumatic and depressing right now, right? Yes, absolutely. And I'm not sure that antidepressants are the answer here when what we need is social change but antidepressants are more profitable so we go with those certainly it's been um particularly for people in victoria they had some of the harshest lockdowns in the world um <clears throat> and they're really struggling to come out of those and all the small businesses have fallen over well not all but you know a lot of businesses have fallen over despite some government aid. Um, I don't know quite what it's going to look like when we emerge. Um, housing has skyrocketed. The price of housing has absolutely skyrocketed. It, you cannot buy a house in Sydney for under a million dollars now. Um, once you get past about 20 k's out of the city, everything is, you know, a million or more. Well, what was it, say, two years ago for context? 
Um, say two years ago, you could probably have bought a house between 650 and 800. Okay. And now it's all over a million. In other places, it's literally doubled. So, for instance, in regional areas, because a lot of people fled the lockdowns in the inner city, because if you live in an apartment with three kids and you're literally not allowed outside, you don't want to go through too many lockdowns there if you can avoid it. So a lot of people sold up or ended their rental and moved regionally, and I live just on the edge of what's considered regional. Um, so house prices here have also gone up extraordinarily. Ten years ago, you could buy a house um, for $400,000, and now they're all over a million. And that last increase was very sudden, 20 25%, 30% in the last couple of years. So homelessness uh, has become even more profound. Of course, the personal cost for people, which everyone around the world has experienced, of being unable to be present when your loved one dies uh, has been horrific because you can't travel across state borders. Australians are, Australians are very mobile. I've lived in two different cities and gone back and forth between the two fairly often, um, and I'm not uncommon. So a lot of us move a lot. So we have family all over the country. And please remember, Australia is the same size as the United States, in fact, slightly larger. So when we go coast to coast, <laughs> we really go coast to coast. <laughs> so all of that stuff has been traumatic, profound, difficult. Um, I really feel deep concern about little children. And there have been a lot of babies, of course, born during this time. A lot of hospitals have put uh rules in place denying laboring women support some hospitals were like oh you can have one person some were like oh no nobody can come in with you so and then of course as the vaccine mandates kicked in all of that stuff got more complicated so we're now in bizarre ludicrous situations where healthcare workers who have chosen to access chosen uh, that's <laughs> That's, yeah, inverted commas. Healthcare workers who have accessed the vaccine but are COVID positive are allowed to go to work. Healthcare workers who did not access the vaccine and are COVID negative are not allowed to go to work. That so, sounds like science. <laughs> I think science is definitely playing a part here. Um, you know, and the rules make no sense. And as time progresses, the rules have made less sense. So you could, when when we had uh, in in my state the um, the rules about who's allowed to go where have largely been pulled back now, and it's pretty much a free for all, except individual businesses are allowed to discriminate. So an individual business can put up a sign that says, if you want to come in here, you have to show us proof of vaccination. Okay. I don't know how common that is because I live in a very small town and there's only one business who's chosen to do that. Um, but I note when I go to other towns, which are slightly larger and more touristy, because it's a great tourist destination where I live, there are more cafes that have a sign up saying that. Okay. So, I, you know, I don't know quite how that's working out. But then there's rules about you can go to the supermarket if you're not vaccinated. 
Um, and that's great. You can go in there and check in and all of that. But that shop there next door to the supermarket that uses the same air conditioning and has the same entrance, like you literally go in the same door, you turn right to go to one, left to go to the other. You can't go in the one on the right. I mean, it just makes no sense at all. But then I'm thankful that I don't live in Queensland, which got to a fairly high vaccination rate, lower than the rest of Australia. It's quite a conservative place. Um, and a lot of people living regionally and rurally have not chosen to have the vaccine. They see no reason since there's been no COVID up there until they started letting in the vaccinated people who brought their COVID with them. Um, so they implemented their restrictions on people after. So during the beginning of the mandating and the vaccines arriving in Australia and all of that, you could access cafes, restaurants, shops without proof of vaccination. But in December, it became that in Queensland, you now have to provide proof of vaccination to get into stuff. So they kind of went the other way from everybody else. It, it, I can't. I, I shouldn't be surprised because when you just look around the world at the the irrational choices made by like different regions and sometimes regions within regions. But um, I guess maybe it's a good thing that I remain surprised every time because I don't want to normalize this insane behavior. Um, it's very uh, curious. And <laughs> curious and is a kind word. <laughs> I'm I'm fortunate in in a lot of ways in that I have a house with a garden so uh, I can always go outside and stand under a tree. How lucky am I, right? Fantastic. Um, I live regionally, which means that I'm not cheek by jowl pressed in like sardines with all the people who live in Astoria, for instance. Um, you know, we have big gaps between our houses where I live, or big gap. I can see my neighbours, but it's, it's not inner city living. Um, so, uh, you know, I have felt very fortunate. One of the other fallouts from the uh, previous part of the podcast is that I'm still very socially isolated. I'm still socially a leper. So it's not like I'm overburdened with friends I'm not able to see. Um, mm. I have very close friends, but we keep in touch online mostly because Australia is a really big country and I run a national group. So my group, my group is across the country and my friends are across the country. So in that sense, I was fortunate that that didn't change. I haven't laid hands on some of my dearest, closest friends nearly often enough in the last two years. And that has been hard at times. Likewise. But we have been lucky that we haven't experienced significant deaths or you know we would all have to make very hard decisions if somebody ended up in an icu or with a terminal um, diagnosis for instance no absolutely it's it, it, the um the sophie's choice type of situation that people yeah. have been in for two years is is just it, it's criminal what they've been putting people through at that point i asked janet the last question of the interview that pertained to her life and her book. So if, again, if you haven't listened to Post-Woke episode 18, please do so. It's absolutely worth the listen. And on that note, I will be right back with my story of the week. 
This story took place in August of 2021 when I was at an anti-vaccine mandate rally at Columbus Circle right on the southwest tip of Central Park. I stopped by to check out the scene and it was it was fun. It was a band was playing mellow music, much of the crowd was singing along and dancing, and I wandered around taking photos and feeling happy to see so many people in attendance speaking out against repressive and anti-science measures. On the fringes of the event, I noticed a man. He appeared to be South Asian and dressed to go running in the park. Perhaps he lives in that swanky neighborhood. This man stood perfectly still in silence. His facial expression was one of contempt as he gazed at the many signs on display. A teenage boy, maybe 16 or 17, was giving out postcards to promote the next anti-mandate rally. He, he approached the South Asian man and politely reached out to offer him one. The angry man's face contorted into a mask of disgust as he violently slapped the boy's hand. Perhaps hundreds of cards scattered onto the asphalt. Before any of us could do anything, the South Asian man took off running into the park. But in a flash, about 10 rally goers and other passersby rushed over to help the teenager pick up the cards. Soon, as they gathered the postcards, they were all laughing about the whole thing. I was very encouraged by how this episode was resolved, but I couldn't help thinking how that angry man was a manifestation of what's been done to us for two years. We've been consciously divided by disinformation and fear. Sadly, plenty of folks have willfully embraced this as an opportunity to further close their minds and slip into a place of hate. That day in Central Park, I was mighty grateful to witness an exception to this trend. And on that note, I remind you, keep your guard up. <laughs>